Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. You sound uh, very good this time. I was having a little bit of technical uh, issue because my uh, my little device here, I had two microphones plugged into it. Oh. And weirdly, it allows <clears throat> it allows me to hear both microphones in the headphones, but somehow one of them does not broadcast. I see. So I was talking to you in the wrong microphone. Well, we got it all yeah. straightened down. So yeah, we did. That's all that yeah, counts in the end. Is you yeah. get it that's figured right. out, and then you then you do your thing. That's right. <clears throat> I was never on the technical side of things here wow. in uh, in technology land. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, actually, I would say you were. You figured it out. You troubleshot the issue. You resolved the issue. Tech support not not needed. I don't know. I've talked about this before, but I don't know. What would the world look like if there wasn't, right now I'm talking about, not, I'm not talking about in the 1800s. What would the world look like right now if there was not this constraining tech aperture that things had to make it through? By which I mean, it doesn't matter now if you're an artist. It doesn't matter if you're a dancer. It doesn't matter if you're a hat maker. In order to bring your wares to the marketplace, you have to make it through a tech aperture. And in the past, you know, you had a, if you wanted to sell something, you had to at least have a cart that you could wheel up to the sidewalk, wheel up to the corner of 42nd and 3rd. But now you have to have a website, or you have, not a website, nobody's on a website, but you know what I mean? Like you have to get through the doorway of a computer in a way that is savvy enough that you're not just sitting there uh, in an empty hat shop, but that you get to the market. And so all the artists that are good at tech are the ones we know. And the artists that are bad or disinterested in tech are invisible. All the people that are good at tech, all the people that we think are the people who are making things are just the people who are making things that have figured out the tech. And it's a great, it's a great like scrubber of, um, really of everything that's being made or done or said or, uh, or danced or sung. And I don't, and the thing is that people in tech don't perceive it. Because everyone they know is in tech. Right. So they're, they're kind of insulated from the real world, the rest of the world. Well, but there is no rest of the world anymore. And, and, and the thing is, people younger than us have never known a world without tech. So the idea of there even being a world without tech seems a little bit like, oh, sure, like when you go stay in a cabin or something. It's like, no, they're like legitimately people making really cool things that have never been on the internet or people that, I mean, it's why Facebook is such a toxic, awful place, but also where there are a billion people because it's the, it's the easiest place for, for Joe Blow to put his foot up on the running board of the internet and at least like peer into it and go like, <clears throat> well, I put that stuff up on my Facebook page and I've got 20 followers. So I don't know why it didn't, well, I don't know why nobody's buying my reconditioned air conditioners. <laughs> I-, I felt this way from the early two thousands 
when Merlin first made the Long Winters webpage, but watching the bands that were, that were, I mean, just all they needed was one person in the band that had, that was, that was young enough to have grown up with computers or had studied computers enough to put something up. And the ones that didn't, well, you know, scoffed at it then like, Oh, I was, I did that. Why would a band need to be on the internet? But See, I would have thought you would have now, been forward thinking enough and, and said, yeah, man, like, of course the band's got to be on the, of course we got to be on the internet. Of course we do. After I saw the first message board, I realized <clears throat> that that was something special that hadn't existed before. And I saw how it related to bands. And then immediately I, I became aware of LiveJournal and realized that it was just as bad as that the internet was just as bad as any high school lunchroom <laughs> or worse and <laughs> or worse and it was never going to get better but there was that brief little period where you know people were from all around all around the world able to come into uh, you know like a common space and talk about something that you know talk about some weird band from seattle and it just seemed very cool but no i didn't understand because at the time it wasn't clear damn that commerce happened there right there in 2002 or whatever when we first had a website it was very difficult to buy or sell things at least my impression to send money across the internet it's pre-paypal so you know people would buy a t-shirt and you would lick a stamp and mail it to them. And I don't know. I don't even remember what they did. Did they send a check? Uh, so it, it, so it seemed like, well, I, I still do. Time. Do you remember? And maybe you felt this kind of sentiment yourself, but I, I definitely remember it. The idea of like typing your credit card in oh, yeah. over the, and like putting your credit card in on, out onto the internet to buy something like I would, yes. would you, you would actually buy like you went to some website and typed your credit card number in online to the what to the internet. Now the internet like People, has your credit card number. Like who would do that? Who would buy People anything? Did it. it was so that people forget that like that was the biggest Cur like learning curve for people ever <laughs> like to get them to be comfortable buying something on the yeah. internet was like like that's cr you'd have to be crazy to buy something on the internet so it kept me kept me from doing it and it kept me i didn't when paypal first started i was like ha it's a scam <laughs> right what how can they even do that but but also the difference you remember the difference between a website that looked good and a website that didn't look good yeah and how much that would affect i mean you could be in you could be in sunny day real estate and have a shitty website and look really dumb in comparison to some you know dinky band from San Francisco where one of the guys had made this beautiful thing and and the same is still true today in the sense that the musician that is good at home recording versus the musician that isn't is the one that we even have heard of. 
And I mean, this has always been true, right? It just used to be that the musician that was rich and could afford studio time is the one that made a record and the musician that was poor and didn't get signed, we never heard from. There's always been apertures. It's just that the it's just that those apertures were visible. Everybody knew that was true. I mean, people in the in, in the world didn't, you know, like they just they bought records that were in record stores. They had no sense of how many hoops that those records had to get through to get to record stores. And so the the consumer perception is that it's the good ones. The good ones are in the record store. That's why they're that's why. Right. You know? Right. Like anything and you we, get in a record but, store should be vetted and good. Yeah. They're good. And and the ones that aren't in the record store aren't as good. Uh but now that the the fact of of that um that gate is I think largely invisible even to people who should know it's there. Um people that are in the the industry. You know, and I'm not talking about the the music business. I'm talking about everybody in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, increasingly, it's like if you're not online, if you're not online in a in a good way, in an effective way, um, you're not even. Uh, it's not that the assumption is that your your wares are bad because we all know that there are tons of things on the internet where the wares are bad. The perception is that you don't. You, you don't exist. If it's not online, it doesn't exist. More and more and more. And when I left Twitter now six months ago, oh, wow. I really believed that if I wasn't online I, in that way, I, 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 I didn't believe it anymore. But I had believed it for so long that I was, uh, I was stepping into the unknown. And the, the fact is, I have these podcasts, so I'm still in the world, but there's, a, there's an element to my, I mean, a major element, even among my friends who don't live here in Seattle, my, my New York friends, my LA friends, I, I haven't really heard from them very much. Everybody's checked in. You know, everybody's written and said, hey, how's it going? But the... But compared to how I used to feel that I was talking to them every day or every other day and that we were all kind of in a big lunchroom, just throwing, just food fighting all the time, you know, that's gone from my life. And I think the, the, uh, the startling thing to me is not that it's gone because I, I expected it would be gone. And I think I expected it to be gone, not at like kind of unrelated to any controversy. I'm just not there. I think there are a lot of people that, that, you know, that love me and are, and have uncomplicated feelings about me, but they're just not gonna, it's a, it's a major extra step to pick up your phone and find somebody's phone number and text them. Or especially if you never had their phone number. You knew them really well on the internet. You never had their phone number or email address. I think there are probably tons and tons and tons of at replies on my various social media that are just sitting there collecting dust. 
but how to reach out to me and say, and, and even if you did, to say something more than, hey, just checking in, because there's no, in a, in a world before we could text, in a phone world, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't talk to these people except for once a, once a quarter. No, the thing that's been astonishing is that I don't really notice or care. Uh, unless I, unless it comes into my head and I go, oh, right, I haven't heard from Joe Blow in, oh, wow, I haven't heard from them at all. And who knows why? You know, I, I think my instinct at first when I didn't hear from people was to think that they had, they had abandoned me or were or, or chastising me. But now I realize, oh, no, it's just that we've all, <clears throat> We all now live in a world where if it's not on the internet, it doesn't exist, including our friends, let alone the whatever bands. I, I work on music all the time. I've got a I've got a computer full of music. And it's all music that no one has heard. I even your own, my, your own music, not other people's. My own music. music. Yeah. No, no, my own music. And and even my own even the people closest to me. I don't play it to anymore because there, there's a certain kind of overload that you get listening to someone else's unrefined musical ideas. You can sit all day and make these, what seemed to at least seem to me to be like super cool ideas. And, and, um, I, I, you know, I, the, the, the lost long winters record, the, the, um, the fourth, full length record that we worked on for a couple of years that we never finished. I used to play that album in its entirety, all 13 songs uh, for whoever would listen. And at one point I was sitting in the car playing it for Jason Finn, who's a you know lifelong professional musician. And he said, Hey, this all sounds great, but without vocals, without it being a complete work, um, it just sounds like just demos of some dudes jamming in a basement. And I was like, what are you talking about? Listen to this thing come in and then that goes over here. And he was like, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a song yet. And you're not, you're not asking me to listen to it as a complete work of instrumentals. And so all I can do when I sit and listen to it is, you know, wait for it to be done. And the doneness of it was at least partly a, a technology problem. Right. In, and it wasn't a technology problem in the, in the, um, in the old sense. I mean, because I had access to real recording studios. The technology problem was that even with access to real studios, the, the possibility that I could record myself at home and make a high quality enough uh, recording that I could bring it to everybody and say, here's the tune um, had befuddled me because prior to that, every other record that I've ever made involved me showing up at a practice space and going, okay, here's the chords and everybody clanks through it. And then I put a piece of notebook paper up on a music stand and I go, all right, let's, you know, let's run through the, 
thing okay and then it goes to the chorus and then i would start on a microphone to sing Oh, and somehow through that and often i would show up with an acoustic guitar and i'd already have the song really figured out but i never ever ever once made a cassette tape of the song and gave it to the band and said here's the song learn it it was always in the room with me, like waving my hands, like, okay, when I, you know, because everybody knows what a, when a songwriter is waving his hands, you all know what's next. It's like if I wave, if I'm going like, ah, and, you know, that's that thing I'm singing, right? So I raise my eyebrows and everybody's watching me. So they're like, must be the chorus. And they all go. And then I like raise my eyebrows a different way and it's back to the verse. So, uh, you know, uh, recording Pretend to Fall, on the very last day in the studio, I had not put vocals on oh, wow. a couple of songs, including um, Scared Straight, which in the end has very, very involved lyrics. And I had notebooks, six notebooks open. And I'm on the other side of the glass and the, you know, at the time, Ken Stringfellow and um, whoever else was in the room, they're staring at me through the glass. It's 11 o'clock at night. This is our last day. The record's done and I don't have vocals. And I'm pouring through these notebooks, you know, just flipping pages like, what, what goes here? What goes there? And I put together the lyrics and I sang it, having never done it before and not knowing, you know, when I listened to the song. Wow, listen to it now and I'm like, oh, what I should have done. But there was no what I should have done. You know, it just it just was written in a panic. But that was that was part of how I worked. And the the prospect of having the freedom, the freedom, Dan, to sit at home in front of my laptop with a microphone and a and a compressor and work on it by myself, uh, what that was, was it was like a wizard appeared in front of me or a genie and waved their hands and said, I will now give you the gift of everything and you, and also I will paralyze you from the neck down (laughs) because the idea of sitting and doing it at home by myself had, I had never done it. I didn't know how, and I couldn't. But I also couldn't say to everybody, well, let's just go in, let's just pay $500 a day to go into a room and I don't have the songs ready. Mm-hmm. You can't do well, it. You can't do that, right? No, because everybody else in my band is pretty good at technology. You know, the, uh, Eric Corson worked for Apple and then worked for Paul Allen basically as his studio guy. I mean, I have geniuses around me. <laughs> Um, but what they would say is, well, send us the song. And I would say, ah, the song is like, da 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 And then it goes, wah! And then I'm like, la, sing, sing. And they're like, yeah, dude, that's not. Like, get get your shit together. 
And nobody remembered that I never, ever had my shit together before because having your shit together meant something different then. And so we had the album and all we needed was me to sit at home in front of my computer with one microphone and finish it. And I couldn't like, and when I say couldn't, like I've, my mom has had a revelation recently after 50 years of being my mom where she said, you know, your whole life when you said you couldn't do a thing that was incredibly simple, I thought that you were being passive aggressive. I thought you were being, um, you know, I thought you were, engaging in a kind of self-sabotage that I could not understand. I didn't understand why you, um, why you inhibited yourself and why you came up with this completely implausible, unlikely explanation that you couldn't make a shopping list, like a ridiculous thing that, that everyone, everyone in the world just rolls their eyes at because it's like, it's like a, a little kid saying like, I can't eat food with salt on it. <laughs> you know, just, it just sounds like a child, right? Just, you know, saying, come on, climb up the stairs. I can't. And she said just recently, just recently, in the last couple of weeks, she said, I re- I've been, you know, it's taken me 50 years, but I realize now you, for some reason, can't and i don't know you know these are the things that are the easiest things for me to do make a list check things off you know ben ben gibbard rented an office downtown 10 years ago because he was tired of working in his house and he wakes up every morning and he has a good breakfast and he gets to his office at eight and he works on songs until noon. And then when he's done he, at noon, he feels like he's earned his, his lunch and he, you know, if he's really into something, he'll stay till two or whatever. Then he locks up his office door and he goes down and goes for a run and has a sandwich. And in the time that I've been trying to finish that, fourth long winners record ben has written 120 songs and this is just just because he has such a disciplined routine do you think is that what you're crediting yep. that to 100 he said well he says <clears throat> like if i don't write a song today then i don't get my soup Oh, right. You know, there's that there is that whole philosophy of people who say oh it's like it's impossible i could never let's pick a, a book for example i could never write a book well, if you just wrote one page a day, forget how long it'll take you. You know, if you wind up writing a 300-page book, 350 page, it'll take you a year. But if you write one page a day, eventually the book will be done. If you just do it, like put That's the right. pen to paper and just do the thing. It's easy to come up with ways to not do it. But if you just write a page a day, you might throw the page away, but at least you wrote the page, right? You know, I feel like it's that kind of thing. There's a hundred books at the airport that will tell you some version of this, right? Like the artist's way or whatever, the, the presence process. Like you get up in the morning and you do a thing and, and you do it until 
until it's done. And I don't know if I talked about this. I don't remember whether I talked about this on, on, uh, with Merlin or if I talked about it with you, but the week that millennium girlfriend left me, um, Ben called and said, I'm going to write, um, what was it? 20 songs in a day. And I want you to join me. Have you, have you ever heard of this? Have you ever heard me talk about this? I am thinking, and I'm not remembering this. I'm going to say no, but of course people will say, oh yeah, you talked about an episode, you know, 82, but I don't remember it. I don't know. You know, this is the type of story where I don't think I would have talked about it as it was happening, but I might've talked about it <clears throat> at well, some tell, tell point. It, and just, tell it I don't again. Remember. I mean, we'll hear it again then if you have told he, it. He said, I'm going to write 20 songs in a day and I want you to join me. And I was like, I haven't written a song. I haven't written a new song in five years. And he was like, well, you write songs. You know how to write songs. I want to try this experiment. Um, like, what do you say? And, you know, things weren't going great with uh, Millennium Girlfriend, but it seemed like we were going to, we were still trying to work it out. She had just moved to, um, to, to live with me. She'd moved from California. All her stuff was in transit. Um, <clears throat> like it was, she had packed it into a shipping container and it, and sent it to Seattle. And she is, she was living here and, and, uh, I had cleared space in my place for her and we were looking for a house together. Wow. Uh, because she couldn't live in my house, even though, you know, for two years she'd been like, I love your house. As soon as she set foot in it and put her suitcases down, she was like, I can't live here. And that's understandable if you're, you know, you don't want to move into your boyfriend's house. You want to get a new house if you're a rich girl. And so I said, okay, I'll do 20 songs in a day. Like, where do we meet? And he said, no, 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 no. you do 20 songs at your house. I'll do 20 songs at my house. And our good friend, Eric Anderson, who's in a uh, band called Cataldo, who's a much younger guy than either uh, me or Ben. Like I was what? 48. Ben was 42 and Eric is 30 in this story could but be your, eric could be your anderson yeah right you know eric really is uh, he's an old soul as as the weirdos say but he really is and it's a it's a weird you know he his parents were college professors and he just came into the seattle music scene as someone who had such a love for 90s early 2000s indie pop which would have been popular when he was seven years old, but he was so good at it. He was just adept at it. And it wasn't that he was, was, he wasn't mimicking. He really is one of us. He's just 20 years younger than most of the people I knew. And it, you know, and 
I, I used to compare it to Tom Petty joining the Traveling Wilburys, but Tom Petty wasn't that much younger than those guys. He was a little bit younger. Well, we would like to say thank you very much to Feels. Do you experience stress? Do you have anxiety? Do you have chronic pain or even trouble sleeping at least once a week? Well, if you do, you know what? You're not alone. Many of us do. Personally, I think I've probably had all of those problems at one time or another and sometimes more than one at a time. And I was looking for something that would help. Uh, and that's when I discovered Feels. Feels is premium CBD that's delivered directly to your doorstep. It feels helps you naturally reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. And really sleeplessness or insomnia, that was the first thing that I had really tried it for. Uh, basically, you take a few drops, you put it under your tongue, and you'll feel the difference within just a few minutes. You feel more relaxed, you feel more calm. But the important thing that I want to note, at least in, in my personal experience, is it's not like this makes you tired. It's not like that at all. You can use Feels CBD uh, any time of day, at least in my personal experience, it's how it's been, and you're just going to feel calmer. Um, it's not like it's going to put you to sleep, and that's something important. I don't see that in, in the, the notes here in this read, but I want to mention it, but it, it I think it just takes your stress and your anxiety down a notch so that if you want to then lay down and sleep, well, you can. Uh, but if you want to be productive and just do it in a way without the stress, without the anxiety, well, you can do that too. But it also works really well with chronic pain or post-workout uh, pain or soreness. That was sort of the benefit that I found about it that I wasn't anticipating. It's like I had taken some to wind down in the evening before bed and I saw it. I feel less sore. I feel a little bit better. It can help you with all of these different things. And the important thing though to note is you've got to find the right dose. You've got to find the right dose for you because everyone's a little bit different. So your dose is going to be a little bit different. You've got to leave room to experiment over the course of a week or two and you may need to take more or less to get the effects that you're after. It's all different for everybody. What's really cool is that if you're, especially if you're new to CBD, Feels has a CBD hotline that's going to help guide your personal experience. You can call them and tell them, and they, they can even you can even get a little flight of different strengths of their CBDs sent out to you. It's the coolest thing in the world. Feels it's going to work naturally to help you feel better. You don't get hungover from it, and there's no addiction from it. It's great. It's not like the kind that has THC in it, and it's not like weed. It's a completely different uh, thing in that sense. And uh, so what you do is you join the Feels community. You're going to get Feels delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. It's so great to know that this thing is just going to show up at a regular interval. You're not going to run out. You're not going to be without it, especially if you integrate it into your routine like I have. Uh, and it, it's got me feeling my best every day. I think it can help you too. So become a member today. Go to feels, F-E-A-L-S, feels.com slash roadwork. When you go there, you'll get 50% off your first order. You'll get free shipping, uh, but only if you go to feels, F-E-A-L-S, feels.com slash roadwork. Become a member, 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Great company, great people behind it, and uh, I sure do appreciate the benefits myself. So thanks very much to feels for making the show possible. But so Eric just has he's he's wonderful, wonderfully smart guy, gentle. And so he's been a friend since he first showed up, even though when I first met him, you know, he was 20. Um, and I was 38. 
But so the three of us were going to write 20 songs in a day. And I think it was 20 songs. Maybe it was 15. There was some number, some finite number that seemed impossible. It seems impossible to write a song in a day, uh, let alone three songs. But this was some, this was some game, you know, Ben was trying to make it a game. So the three of us woke up one morning and, uh, the idea was that we were going to start at eight in the morning, but I don't wake up at eight, but I tumbled out of bed at nine millennium girlfriend was getting her, uh, you know, putting her high heels on. And then she went out. This was the hilarious thing about that first week. She was like, I'm going to take the bus to work mm-hmm. and be a, I'm going to be like a take the bus to work kind of person. <laughs> and I was like, well, all right, there's a bus stop right at the corner of my house. Isn't that fortunate? And she was like, this is what I'm doing. And she got up and put her outfit on and got on the bus and taking the bus from my house to her work downtown, right downtown Pike place market. If you measured it in minutes, it was, you know, it didn't take a crazy amount of time compared to getting from your house in park slope to your job at Rockefeller center. You know, it would have been, it's a reasonable commute, but the experience of it, riding a Seattle city bus through the Rainier Valley on your way to work downtown. Um, suffice to say she did it two times. And then the third time she said, I want you to drive me to work. And all of a sudden I was driving her to work and, and picking her up after work. Gora, no, Gora's. Wow. This isn't as good. But so, you know, I'm, I'm texting with Ben and Eric and they're like, well, we got started and I've already written three songs. And I was like, oh no. And I was about to quit. I was like, there's no way oh, like you're just going to walk out. Just that's it. You're done. It's just like, no, it's, I don't feel it. But, um, at 11 in the morning, I sat down with my guitar and, um, and the, the voice note app on my phone, the, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I guess. And, and, and timing it out, if I was going to write that many songs, in a day, I had to write and record a song every 30 minutes, I think, or 45 minutes. And I started and I wrote a song. And it was really just like, how do you write a song? Clang, 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 sing, sing, sing. And when I got to 30 minutes, there was nothing I could do. I had to record it. And I turned my phone on and I, I recorded it. And then I had to start working on a second song and I worked and worked and worked all afternoon. And it was hilarious because you get a thing and you're a half hour in and it's freaking song. It's, it's astonishing how quickly you can write a song. I'm assuming though, that you have to kind of have done it before and be good at it, right? Like they can't be your first song that you're going to be good at and write in five minutes or whatever. Yeah. You have to know like, you have to have the art of songwriting under your belt a little bit. You have to have a process. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, at, but Ben stipulated, don't bring anything to the table. You don't use an old riff. You don't have a song you've been working on. You don't uh, put some lyrics that you wrote down on a napkin. It's it, every song is just completely dead fresh. 
And by a fourth or fifth song, it was the type of thing where you're just laughing. You're just like, oh, well, here's another song. Dang, 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 dang. And just like when I first got good at writing songs, after three or four songs, I started throwing weird stuff at it. I was like, well, you know, I've written all the three chord songs I'm going to do today. What else is there? Uh, let's try a different time signature. Let's try, a, let's try a different tempo. Let's try, um, let's try some things that I think are corny that I, st- let's try some, you know, progressions that, that I re- started rejecting 15 years ago because it was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna modulate at the end of a, of a chorus. Like what am I? The beach boys. <laughs> But I, but I, but you know, because you're trying to write 20 songs in a day, nothing's off limits. You know, there's no, uh, there's nothing that's too corny. There's nothing that's too bad. You've got a half an hour. And I got to 10 songs and I said, I'm going to take a little break and make a sandwich or a bowl of soup. And I went and had a sandwich and I sat, you know, I was taking a half hour where I should have been writing a song. I was taking it off. Going to have a sandwich. And when I came back, something had changed. Like taking a half hour break was in some ways a fatal flaw because whatever the spell was, was, you know, broken. But I sat down, I moved over to the piano to try and reinvigorate. And I wrote three more songs on the piano before I, you know, it was six o'clock at night and millennium girlfriend, you know, bedraggled came in the door and I, you know, kind of collapsed in a heap and I called, you know, Ben and Eric, we'd, we'd kind of been checking in with each other, but not much. And I said, I got 13 songs. And they each said, yeah, I only got 13 songs. And they all both had done 13? Yeah. That's interesting that it was all 13 on all three of you. Yeah. We just, uh, at 13 songs, you hit a wall. Um, But we had a, we we made a plan though, you know, the next day. We were all going to get together down at Ben's studio and we were going to play these songs for each other. And so we show up and Ben and Eric have their computers or files or whatever. And I had my phone and they're like, okay, well let's play some, uh, let's play some tracks for each other. And we were going to play, you know, one each and then cycle so Ben goes first and the, and we're sitting in his studio. So his computer's there. We see his instruments sitting around this, he, this, this is his place and this is his process. And, uh, he pushes play and the drums come in and then the bass, and then the keyboards and then the guitar. And then he starts singing. And it is a full-fledged Death Cab for Cutie song. And I'm like, wow, how did you do it? And it was great. 
And he said, well, you know, I mean, I've got this drum thing set up. So I just, you know, put in, you know, I just programmed this little loop. And then I just sort of grabbed a bass and put down a, a bass line over the loop and got this groove going. And then it just, you know, just went from there. And I was like, okay, wow, that's super cool. And then Eric was like, you know, here's my song. And the drums start. And, uh, and I'm like, whoa. And then the bass, and the, the keyboards. And then it's a, it's like, it's a Cataldo song. Wow. Indie rock. You know, these are, these songs are indie rock. And then they're like, so, uh, you know, what do you got? And I, and Ben plugged the little, uh, you know, mini jack into the base of my phone back right. when those things existed. Yeah. Right. And I push play on my little note thing. And here I come in with a, with an out of tune acoustic guitar. Clang a dang, clang a dang, 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 la 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 la, clang a dang, 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 and you could see their faces fall and my face fall. Um, this was the first song I'd written in five years, or whatever. I mean, you know, first first song I'd written this way, where it's just me and acoustic guitar trying to write a song, and it was just awful. And it was it wasn't just that the song was awful; it was that the recording sounded so bad because it's, you know, it's, it's got basically just microphone compression. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's phone. taking, it's taking your guitar and your voice and everything else and compressing it down into one tiny little awful track. Tiny little, I mean, whatever, however many bits <laughs> there were yeah. in this track, not many. It was this, this, the sound of this thing was like uh, nails on chalkboard. And so my song got done and I was kind of sheepish, like smiling, like, well, I don't know what to tell you guys. It's going to be a long day. And so they were like, well, no, that was good. I mean, you know, it's good job. Like, okay. And we were, I don't know what order they were playing their songs, but I suspect that the order they were playing was their favorite song that they wrote. Yeah, and the then first, right? Next favorite song. Hey, Dan, uh, uh, Marlo has just walked in. Okay. Marlo, would you like to say hi to Dan? Here, let me get the Okay, there's Dan now. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? Mm. Not good? I'm fine. Where'd you just come from? Uh, outside. What were you doing out there? Walking. Just walking around? Mm-hmm. Like keeping track of the animals or? No, walking from my mom's house to here. Oh, how long of a walk is that? Not too far, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not too far. What did you see on the way? Anything good? Nope. Just a regular walk. You're really turning up the electricity here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> calm down. Well, you don't want to. What? You the... don't want to put the headphones on me. Well, I know, but you did a good job. Was that your first ever appearance on a podcast? No. When was your first appearance I was on a podcast? Say, I think she's been on, you've had her on here before. Same podcast, except it was before, earlier, and I only said like two words. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. we want to hear we want to hear more from you. What are you going to do later today? Anything good? Dan's asking you, what are you going to do later today? Is there anything good that can happen? Yes, I'm going to a party. Oh, like a birthday party or just a get together? Birthday party or what kind of party? Uh, end of school party. Mm, nice. What are they yeah. doing there? What are you doing at this party? Tie dyeing and playing in a hot tub and bouncing on a trampoline. That's my kind of party. Dan says it's his kind of party. All right, I'll let you go. Um, oh, yeah. Suki's here, too. Uh, okay, bye, ladies. Have a good time at the party. Make me a tie-dye. Well, steal one. Uh, anyway. To continue. Sorry for the interruption. She didn't but I'm thrilled to be on the show. Well, you know, it's one of those um it's one of those things where you just caught her by surprise. Like caught her by surprise. And it she probably would have been more down for it. She um she's somebody who loves to try to get up on stage and once she's on the stage she she realizes what what was I thinking? Mm, mm-hmm. She always wants to she can't she can't bear to have me up on a stage where she isn't invited to join me. Mm-hmm. Um, but once she's up there and I go, and now everyone, here she is. <laughs> uh, she just absolutely like deer in the headlights. And I go, hey, you know, you, were, you wanted to get up here. Like, let's, let's, do, let's hear from you. And she's like, no, go go you you go right to hell and everyone go <laughs> go to hell with you so we'll see she's a she's very theatrical but sometimes wants only to be left alone my daughter whose age and name are almost identical to yours by just off by one letter and yeah. uh a couple months of age maybe uh-huh uh-huh wants nothing to do with any kind of podcasting or video stuff. She does want a, a YouTube channel, but oh, yeah. she wants it to be fully anonymous um, and doing uh-huh. crafts and things like that. And to, you know, things like that, or playing video games, playing Minecraft, but she wants it to be totally anonymous. And my son, who I have done a podcast with, um, he, uh, he would, he likes being on a show, but it has to, he, he can't do without, a lot of warning ahead of time. Like, here's when we're going to do it. This is when and how it will be. This is where it will be. And this is what we're going to be talking about. Then he's fine. He's fine. But if I were to just grab him and pull him in, I don't think I'd get a word out of him. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I'm surprised that I got out of her what I did. Yeah. (laughs) Plus, it sounds like she was busy with a friend. Yep. She had work to do. But you know what? I think it um, it was your gentle manner. That uh, that really like got her out of her shell. Did was she out of her shell? <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, she she gave you more than she gave you more than uh, than one syllable answers. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, it's always weird talking to somebody else's kid because, like, like if I were to go to one of my kids' schools or classes, like I can easily entertain the class and get them all to do silly things and run around and all that kind of stuff. Like that's something I'm, I'm fairly good at. And I'm even better at my son's age friends because they're 13 year old, 14 year old boys. And I very, very clearly remember 
all of the things that I liked as a 13 year old boy. And I, I, I know exactly what they're going to want to talk about. And I can, I also like the same things, So it's, it's no problem. <laughs> but with my daughter at nine, almost 10, you know, I, I get it right. 50% of the time. There's some things that I can kind of predict what a 10 year old girl might like, but I can also be like really way off. But I know what pretty much what all 14, 13 year old boys like, like I, I, you know, I mean, obviously video games, like that's the safe bet. Uh, is it, is it Minecraft, Fortnite, or a console, you know, game besides that? Like, is it Spider-Man? Is it something like that? Like the, so we're safe. We have, I always know. And that's, that's my go-to is what video games you're playing. And if they say we're not playing video games, cool. What, what do you play? And then you can go into it that way. Yeah. Speaking right. of, do listen, play? do you, you know what? I know this is like, this is more of a back to work, uh, concept, but yeah. I'm going to recommend a game to our audience. This is normally something I would reserve for back to work, but I will do it here because I think you would like it too. Maybe you already know about this. Have you ever heard of a card game called Monopoly Deal? No. Okay. So what they did is they took the best, most fun parts of Monopoly and transformed it into a very playable, very fun card game. And at first, this makes no sense. How could you do that? And then the second thing you think is, okay, they did it, but it must not be that good. It's uh-huh. so good. It's like I, you have a deck, you have a hand of cards. Your opponent has a hand of cards. Yes. And you're playing as though playing gin. No, it's, but it's, it's also monopoly. It's more fun than that. It's um, I don't want to waste our whole show talking about it, but I will say that basically your your goal is still to get properties. Uh, but you have, it's just really, really fun. It's, it's like $7 on Amazon. I just feel like people just should go and, and just buy this just based on my recommendation. Just take, take, you know, whatever it is, six, seven bucks. My, we play this. My family has become obsessed with this game anytime now that there's like 10, 15 minutes, like, well, we could probably fit a game in now right Whoa, now okay all um, right and it's it's very very fun that way and and it's something that like my nine-year-old and my 13-year-old and adults can also play all at the same time which is rare there's nothing so complicated and my nine-year-old is the one who wins all this. she always wins so I, anyway i'm just going to highly recommend this game monopoly deal and it's good for just adults i play with adults too it's great i, ca- I carry this stupid deck around with me just now in, in case i show up somewhere like oh we could play a game monopoly deal like what are you talking about gets 10 15 minutes it's gonna be great and then they go and buy their own deck wow that's crazy so i'm just gonna throw that out there john i feel like right. we need more games that don't deal. involve screens we need more things to do that don't involve screens so anyway continue please with your story well, I, I do remember telling this story at some point, maybe with Merlin, but the, but the, uh, in the final analysis, we sat there and listened to one another's songs. We listened that day to 39 songs. Wow. And, you know, none of them were six minutes long. It was a lot easier, I think, if you were working with drum loops to have a song that was three minutes long 
Whereas for me, uh, you know, they averaged, I think, quite a bit shorter. Um, let's see. Yeah. It, you know, they're, they're, my songs were two minutes long on average. Um, they got actually, they got longer as the day went on. Uh, but, um, but by the end of the day, I was writing good songs and I think probably four of them were good songs, songs that, uh, were as, you know, they were as good a starting point as, you know, as any song. Mm-hmm. Um, they just needed to go through the, go through the ringer a couple of times and get the, get refined. And it was, it was, it was obvious to, uh, to the three of us, you know, and I think it was that maybe they had, uh, they were playing their songs in order of goodness or, or order of or alphabetical order or something. You know, they both were like, I'm not sure what order this is, but anyway, we had some, we had some scheme, but I was playing my songs in chronological order that they were just in the machine in the order they were received. And it was really apparent that my songs got better and better throughout the day. And the idea that I could write four good songs in a single day. Um, that's crazy. It's just like, Oh, it's all that stuff in the world where you think, well, if I did that every day, I mean, just these songs are just out there. They're just floating around and I could, I could be bringing them down every day. I could go bring one down from the sky and add it to the world, you know, like, like fishing. Um, if you don't go fishing, then you don't get a fish. And if, <laughs> right. and if you fish every day, you are Mr. Fish, you, you bring in the fish. Um, and in the, you know, in the immediate aftermath of that, right? Like I think millennium girlfriend left me two days later. And, and then I was asked to be King Neptune, mm-hmm. uh, like a week and a half after that. And so for that whole summer, that King Neptune summer, I was also thinking, I've got the beginnings of a record here. And I played all the songs to my record label. I took this, this set of eight bit songs right. and played them for the head of the label. And he came back and his favorite four songs were not the ones that I thought were the four good songs. And that is how it always is. Frankly, the label is always wrong. Mm-hmm. But what that meant was I had four songs I was really into. He had four songs he was really into. That's a record. You know, you put eight songs together. Oh, yeah. You got two more songs where you where you clap your hands and stomp your feet. Like no one except me and Kurt Cobain ever tried to make a record that had 10 good songs on it. That's just not how it's done. Or Fleetwood Mac, I guess. In the old days, they but I mean, any Led Zeppelin record, you can tell that they got five. They got five songs in, and they were like, "Why don't we do a blues jam?" I mean, even the White Album is like, <laughs> "Let's just throw it all in there." Yeah. 
Frankly, so is Sergeant Pepper. Let's be honest. But I thought about that record and I worked on those songs and I tinkered with them and I did the thing um, because I didn't have a band and I didn't have uh, any kind of mastery of the technology. I sat at the piano. I worked on the songs until I had absolutely strangled the life out of them. Like, oh, that, no, that one goes over here. Mm, no, that one goes over here. There was one song I really loved. And the response I got from a couple of people was, it's a little problematic. Because it was written from the perspective of a guy that, um, like, fell in love with a girl and then the relationship died and he moved on and by the, by the sixth girl, um, the song was troubling to, uh, the guy from the label because it didn't, it wasn't sufficiently positive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about sex politics. Uh-huh. And as I was writing it that day, I was thinking about my relationship. And so I was pouring all of my uh, my sadness about what was happening between sadness and confusion about what was happening between me and Millennium Girlfriend and I was putting I was contextualizing it with you know the women that I had loved I was 48 years old I'd been in romantic relationships for 25 years mm-hmm. like there's a lot of fodder there and and one of the things that had been inhibiting me as a songwriter was I used to write songs about being confused about what was happening in my relationships. Mm-hmm. And I got into my forties and I either wasn't confused anymore or, or rather half of it was, I wasn't confused anymore. And half of it was, I didn't give a shit anymore. Mm-hmm. And so something about, I mean, a a major source of feeling that I've used to put into songs wasn't there anymore. Who cares? I mean, you know, I don't understand what this girl's talking about. Who cares? I'm, I'm 42 years old. I, it's not, if I didn't, if I didn't understand it, uh, 10 years ago, I'm not going to understand it now. And it's not enough to, to cry into my, uh, near beer about, but all of a sudden I had this, you know, I had a lot of emotion and I put it into this song and, you know, and got from, you know, from one person or two people a like, yeah, I don't know. That makes it sound like you don't value women or, or whatever. And I was like, it does not, it does not sound like that. It sounds like I'm desperate, <laughs> but it put the, it put the doubt in me. And I started to try and rework it so that it was more uh, palatable, more positive, or more, you know, what I did was what I always do, which was I switched the genders of the protagonists. I'd al- I've always done that as a songwriter. Write a song and then make, um, write a song from my perspective, but then flip it so that I'm singing from the perspective of the the person that I'm interacting with. Oh, right. Okay. 
And then the person that I was in the song becomes the person that is acting upon me. And so I tried to do that, but it didn't really work in the context of this. It's, it felt false. Anyway, I did this to all of these songs, to all 13 of the songs, and I wrung the life out of them. Well, in the meantime, since we did this, which was 2017, four years ago, okay. uh, Death Cab for Cutie, let's see, discography. Death Cab for Cutie put out, um, let's see. In 2000, oh, so they've put one album out since then. Can that be true? They usually are more prolific. Yeah, so I guess one album. And um, although there's all this, what is this stuff? They've had so, oh, they put out some singles. They put out, uh, yeah, half a dozen singles since then. Uh, but Ben went on and continued to write dozens and dozens of songs, put out another album. I don't remember whether anything on that album was from our 13 song day. Cataldo has put out three records since then. And, um, and I'm still like, when I think about what I could be working on, I think about, you know, these, 13 songs as being kind of the last ones that I, that I wrote this way. I've since written a lot of songs with the drum part. That's like, and boom, but they're not, they're not this. They're not strum, 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 sing, sing, sing. April 19th, 2017 was when that happened. 